Sin affects our limbs and organs. Have you ever been to your doctor and as you complain to him, as he gave, he gave you a prescription saying the cause for your sickness is sin. I don't know whether to believe the doctor or the Bible, but the Bible says sin affects our limbs and organs. Bible clearly says that sin affects our limbs and organs. Let's rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the letter to the Romans chapter 3 verses 9 to 20. Romans chapter 3 verses 9 to 20. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is God's word. Kindly be seated. You know, if you, the way Paul writes the letters to the Romans, sometimes we might think whether he's anti-Jew. He's not at all. In fact, if you see in this passage, he follows a common rabbinical practice, the Jewish practice of stringing together different passages as a pearl. Shall you just go to the first slide? Yeah. If you see that, it's nothing but we have just read different passages from the Old Testament. That's all we have done. Paul is not telling something new. He has brought different passages from the Old Testament and he has only put it together. Like you see in verse 11, it's nothing but Ecclesiastes 7.20. If you see verse 12, it's, it's nothing but verse some. 14, 1 to 3, and Psalm 53, 1 to 3. Next. <clears throat> Verse 13, if you see it, is nothing but Psalm 5, 9, and Psalm 143. Their mouths are full of cursing, that's Psalm 10, 7. And if you see the next one, it is Isaiah 59, 7, Proverbs 1, 16. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's a Psalm 36, 1. All that... Paul has done now is to bring different passages from the Old Testament and put it together. And Old Testament is the one Jesus had as his Bible. He said the Son of Man came only to fulfill the word of God so we don't have to doubt the authenticity of this passage. So what Paul says, the first thing he says is sin affects our limbs and organs. Paul says the essence of sin is nothing but ungodliness. That's all he says. He says 
if you see the beginning of the statement, he said, there is no one who seeks God. There is no one who seeks God. And then when you come towards the end of the passage, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. When people reject God, they tend to commit evil. When people reject God, they tend to commit evil. And when they fear God, they avoid evil. God's complaint. God is complaining about humanity. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, there was a complaint. God complained. And we all know what happened after that, the destruction of the world. And God complains now. What, what, what is God's complaint? He says, we do not really seek him at all. We do not really seek him at all. Psalm 14, 2, 3 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. God complains, we do not really set him before us. God complains, we really do not have him in our thoughts. That's God's complaint, we really do not have him in our thoughts. God's complaint is, we do not love him passionately. We do not love him passionately. You know, what is sin? Sin is nothing but... It's our human revolt. We are fighting against God. We don't want to give control of our lives. We want to be God over our lives. That is sin. We normally, when we in a Christian circle, you talk about sin, they will say drinking, smoking, adultery. That's, that's how our list begins. Sin is just refusing to give up control over our lives, that is sin. Because we want to be enthroned. We want to enthrone ourselves as God over our lives. We don't want to give up the control. And then Paul gives a list how sin affects us. And Paul says, for sin affects Every part of our human constitution, every faculty and function, including our mind, emotions, sexuality, conscience, and will. Sin affects all these areas. Let us not have any doubt about it. Sin affects every area of our life. And Paul is mentioning different organs of the body. Who created this body? God created this body. God gave us limbs and organs. Why did he give limbs and organs? So that we can serve others and glorify God. That is why he has given different organs in our body. But what the sin does, sin uses the very same Rather, let me put this way. The devil uses our own organs so that we will harm others and rebel against God. Devil has nothing of creativity. Whatever God has created, devil only distorts. So God gave us a beautiful body, different organs in the body. They are wonderful. They are excellent. And devil just distorts them so that we use the very same organs to harm others and to rebel against God. So Paul says, we need to accept we are sinners. We need to accept we are sinners. And we also need to begin to realize the reality of our sinfulness. We can close our eyes and say, there is no sin in me. But Paul says, there is no one who loves God. The moment we don't love God, that means it's sin is in our lives. That's what Paul says. So Paul gives layer after layer 
he gives us evidence because paul knows if you tell any human being that you don't love god and especially when we become religious and you say you don't love god he will say that what do you know paul you know how much i love god so paul has to give evidence so he gives layer after layer he gives us evidence to show who we are who we are in god's sight who we are not what i am in my own eyes but what i am in god's sight and then he tries to tell us what this means for us so paul gives seven effects that sin has on us seven effects the first thing he says our legal standing sin sin takes away our legal standing because in verse 10 he says there is no one righteous not even one last sunday i said whenever we come across the word righteous that shows our position the position we cannot stand before god based on our own righteousness so that that is the legal standing legally we cannot stand before god there is no one righteous because our position is like that paul says whatever good deeds may we may do paul is not saying you don't do you may do but that will not earn you your position to stand in front of god so no one is righteous our legal standing the second thing he says our minds our minds in verse 11 he says there is no one who understands you know sin corrupts our mind sin corrupts our mind a vibrant faith is a faith that involves mind in worshiping our god we need to use our mind it's a powerful instrument god has given us we need to use our mind so there is no one who understands this is what paul says in ephesians 4:18 he says we are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardening of our hearts interesting this verse you know paul says ignorance does not cause hardness of hearts ignorance sometimes we think people don't know god that's why they don't worship god that kind of paul says that is not the right argument ignorance does not cause hardness of hearts rather it is the hard heart hardness causes lack of understanding our hearts are hard they are hard my heart is hard when you sit in the presence of god you realize your heart is sometimes it's like a rock it just doesn't want to get connected to god it is hard it is the hard heart hard hardness of heart that brings us to this place paul says hard hardness heart hardness causes lack of understanding the moment your when my heart becomes hard anything about god will not be interesting at all my my brain my mind filter it filters out the reality when my heart is hard it just refuses to get connected with god my heart justifies and nobody is fine in this world why trouble yourself that's the way hard heartness when my heart is hard this is the response everybody is doing it why do you bother hard heartness heart is very hard and it says god is loving it's okay you do you'll forgive this is not a soft heart it is a hard heart which replies which says god is a loving god it does not matter if i commit sin 
hard heart the heart is very hard if if this is the kind of arguments that comes in our mind we need to realize god spirit of god make my heart tender it's only a tender heart which will respond to god all our thinking faculty will be blocked because our mind starts thinking the way we want not the way god wants it is not only our legal standing it is not only our minds our motives because in verse 11 he says there is no one who seeks god you know there is no one who seeks god what paul is telling is it's not that you are seeking god rather you are running away from god and you are hiding yourself that's what eve and adam did in the garden of eden the moment sin entered their lives god walked with them for many days we don't know for how many days no way it said they hid themselves for the first time they hid themselves from the presence of god because of sin it is not that they were pushed to go and hide they themselves the motive was i'll hide from god i'll hide from god that's what sin does that's why jesus said in john 15 16 you did not choose me but i chose you you did not choose me but i chose you if all of us have salvation experience let this be very clear we did not go after god rather he came after us today we sang that song god reckless love of god he left the 99 and he came after me that is the reckless love of god when paul says there is no one who seeks god that's what our he's talking about our motives next he talks about our will in verse 12 he says all have turned away all have turned away we we struggle have i really turned away from god that's what the bible says all have turned away because isaiah 53:6 says we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way isaiah 53:6 we knowingly we willfully i and you turn away from god run away from god knowingly not unknowingly we knowingly we run away from god why do we do that as i told you sin is nothing but we want to be in control of our lives so the moment you go to god somebody said we pray we know when god is about to reveal his will to us we just turn away from him because we don't want to submit our will to god's will we run away from him we run away from him nobody is forcing us to run away we on my own i know if i stay for a little longer he is going to tell me to do something and i don't want to do it i better run away from him that is the human nature that's what he says we all seek our own path then he says our tongues our tongues what happened to our tongues he says in verse 13 and 14 their throats are open graves their tongues practice deceit the poison of vipers is on their lips their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness paul says we are deceitful the bible says i am not saying the bible says all of us are deceitful poisonous bitter and cursing in what we say and the image that he gives us is like a grave with rotting bodies that is our tongue 
when we have the sinful words that's a symptom of our decay we use our tongues to lie to protect our own interest and to damage the interest of others that's how we use our tongue then he says the sixth effect of sin is our relationships he says our feet are swift to shed blood ruin and misery mark our ways and the way of peace we do not know sin affects our relationships why do we become angry with people we try to deal with the symptom why do we get angry we get angry because our access to our own idol is blocked that's why i keep saying we have idols in our heart why do we get angry my self interest is blocked my importance is undermined somebody comes and tells me something i immediately i tell who are you what right do you have because i feel i am so important you see that is my idol and i try to deal with my anger i need to deal with my idol unless i deal with my idol your promotion is denied immediately you get angry you feel you have a right over your life if you understand the gospel and when you understand jesus gave his life to redeem you to save you your life belongs to god nothing will affect you if you can make god as the god over your life that is the gospel that is the kingdom rule the king rules over you hereafter once you enter in the kingdom of god no longer you rule over you no longer you have authority over life the king of kings has authority over your life we tell he is a good god but heart of heart we say god you just leave me aside i'll come to you when i want to come but in the kingdom of god you cannot keep one leg on the in the world and one leg in the kingdom of god the gospel is a life that is utterly surrendered to the authority of the lord jesus that's why we call him you are our lord you are our lord your life does not belong to you your life belongs to jesus because he has redeemed you he gave his life and he has bought you hereafter you don't own your life he owns your your life when we live like that we will not gets angry so easily because my life belongs to him i don't have to hear from others how great i am i am already so precious the son of god gave his life to just to redeem me i am so precious he shed his blood to buy my life i don't need approval from others that is salvation experience it is not just an intellectual assent jesus came and died for my sin when that realization comes into our heart i am so precious the one who is holy blameless pure set apart from sinners he has bought me he loves me that is the gospel message then finally he says or then he says when we do not live when we do not live can i see next one okay and next he says our relationship to god there is no fear of god before our eyes paul says there's no fear of god before our eyes you know this is a this is not a fine passage it's it sounds like a depressing passage because paul says there is no one who does good no one who seeks god that's the way paul says you know there are two things that stands out in this pas- passages no one seeks god no one does good and there's no fear of god so what does paul say in this passage this what he says is no one seeks god because in verse 11 he says there is no one who seeks god 
do you think Paul didn't know the existence of the temple and synagogue and people going there and worshipping? Do you think Paul did not know that? He knew that. But what does he mean when he says there is no one who seeks God? What he says is, is a desire to know the true God. To find and enjoy him. The desire to know the true God, to find and enjoy him, a desire to worship, appreciate and rejoice in him for who he is. Paul is not saying that no one seeks God for spiritual blessings. Paul is not saying that. Because Paul knows there are a multitude of people who run after God, who seek God for spiritual blessings. You know, they, Paul also knows people go to God so that their prayers will be answered. It's not that Paul didn't know that. Paul also knows that people are asking for peace in their lives. They want to have some kind of spiritual experience in their lives. You know, Paul, it's not that Paul is ignorant of all these things. He knows many people do this. Not only in the church, even outside the church, people do all these things. So when Paul says, no one who seeks God, what does he mean? This is what Paul means when he says that there's no one who seeks God. You know, some people have that intellectual curiosity whether there is a God. And they keep asking questions. How do you know there is a God? How can you prove that is a God? That is nothing but an intellectual interest. There are people who have the philosophical interest. How do we find the way to God? Is there a true way to God? So the philosophical interest is there. There are some people, some of, I feel guilty in my life. How can I find this God so that I'll get some peace? There are people like that. There are people who say, I need to have some power in my life. So they seek God. There are people who say, I don't know what to do about my life. So I want to go to God so that I may find some answer to my problems. Paul is not talking about this. If you, have, if you have carefully, if you have listened to me, in all these areas, we are not seeking God. We are seeking what God can give us. We are, in reality, we are not seeking God. I need spiritual power. I need to show my power. In reality, we are not seeking God, but rather we are seeking what we can get from God. This is what Paul says. Because we are sinful, the sinful self-centeredness controls all spiritual experience for meaning and experience. The sin in our life distorts even our search for God. Devil uses our flesh to seek after God. Saying that you are seeking after God, but in reality we are not seeking after God. We are seeking the blessings that we can receive from God. When we do that, we won't bow down before the living God. When we go to God so that we can get blessings, we will really not bow down before the living God. We may go and thank him because for what he has given, but we won't bow down before the living God. We won't give control of our lives. We won't say, Lord, my future is in your hand. We won't do it. We won't do it because we want answers how to run my future. We won't hand over our lives to God and say, Lord, you are in control of my life. We won't do that. We may be very religious, we may be very moralistic people, but heart of heart, Paul is telling, you are not seeking God, you are seeking something you can get from God. That's what Paul says. 
we will not be able to enjoy God because we have learned to enjoy his blessings. I go to God, I get this. So I enjoy his blessings. I have not learned to enjoy him. That's, that's what Paul is telling in this place. You know, we, we, we want God so that he will answer when he cries out to him. But we don't want a relationship with God so that he can shape us the way he wants. He can transform our lives the way he wants. We won't allow it. That's why Paul says there is no one who seeks God. So, what Paul is telling is, if you really, if you have that desire to seek God, first you need to know that you didn't come looking for God. He came looking for you. I want all of us to hear this. If we have little interest in God, if we have little desire in God, if we have little bit of inclination to know this God, Paul is telling, it is not from you, it is from God. Because Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Is it not comforting? It is not encouraging that all of us are here having come to seeking the face of God not because we are good, not because we have that interest, because it is God who has sought us. You are here this morning because God loves you. Even that little bit, when you know when God loves you, you should also, we should know that God will reveal everything about himself to us. We don't have to struggle. He is more interested in us rather than we being interested over our lives. He is more interested in your life and in my life. If we come to that place, we will say, Lord, you be the Lord over our life. I just bow down at your feet. I may not understand anything, but I know who you are. Because you came searching for me. That's, that is what Paul says, no one seeks God. No one seeks God. In fact, the sinful condition of man Takes, away, takes out that ability for us to search, to run after God. That is why prayer is important for salvation. Salvation originates from God. If you think that you have been saved, remember it is not you who ran after God, it is God who came running after you. He will climb any wall. That's what we sang. Because he came running after you. When God, God the creator of the heavens and the earth, he comes running after you. He comes chasing after you. Remember the prime minister of the country running after you. I want to find this person. Where is that person? Oh, he's somewhere. He has moved from here to some other place. Oh, let me go there. Why will he come running after you? If you're more... If you are so special to that prime minister, then only he'll come running after you. This God came running after you and me. What is your response today? What is your response today? This God came running after you. Are you still running after him so that you can get things from his hand? Are you, or do you want to have an encounter with him? I want you, God. You take away everything I have. But I want you. That's what's meant by when Paul says, no one seeks God. That's why we can say that he who began a good work will carry, on, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When you know this God, nothing can harm us. When you know this God and when you entrust your life to God, nothing can harm us. Something may happen, but God, in, in his wisdom, he will turn it all for our good. I'm not saying no harm will come, 
no sickness will come. I'm not saying that. But in the final end, the result will be in our favor. Then Paul says, no one does good. When we heard, the first statement itself was quite troubling. You know, no one seeks God. Okay, Paul, it is okay. No one seeks God. It's okay, fine with you. How dare you say, no one does good. No one does good. How dare you say, Paul, don't you know the people of the world? They, they do so many good works. You don't have to be a Christian to do good work, Paul. There are many people outside the world, they do good work. But remember, like when Paul, when he says no one does good, he has different understanding about goodness. Or the Bible has different meaning about goodness. Paul is not only talking about a good deed, he's talking about the good deed done with what kind of motive? What was the interest behind it? Let me give you this example and let's see whether we can understand. If we help and it's a dark night, this side of the street, there is light, the other end of the street, there is no light, it is dark. So if we help an old lady cross the street, we are going to help that lady. We can do it with several intentions because we know this lady is carrying a purse. So I want to take this lady, not you, let me put myself in. You know, I can take this old lady, I can help her cross the road. One thought says, once you take her across the road, it is dark and I can just snatch that bag from her hand and run away. You might say, it never happens, it happens. It may not happen with you, good people, but it happens. If you read the newspaper, it happens. Okay? The other thing is, if only, I know she is a quite rich lady, if, if I help her to cross this road, definitely she'll give me some reward. And I can do it with that intention. I'm doing a good work. I'm doing a good work, but I will get something from her. The third thing is, hey, you see my friend, my church member is standing on the other side of the road. Pastor, helping this old lady cross that road. I will bring her straight in front of you to leave her so that you all will say, how great is my pastor? What a great thing he has done. Who knew my thought? Who knows my thought? God. Finally, I help her to cross the road so that I can bring glory to God. Now, which is the good thing in this place? We can do good things. We can do good things, but which is the good thing? The last one. Nobody is watching. Nobody is noticing. But I do that good thing because for the glory of God. That's what Paul says. There is no one who does good. If this example, this illustration, if it's not so clear... Let me go back to the old preacher, C.S. Spurgeon. I have told this story earlier in the church, I don't know how many years ago, but it's good for you to listen to the story. I'll put it in Spurgeon's words. Once in a kingdom, long ago, a gardener grew a huge carrot. He decided to give it to his king because he loved his king. When he gave it, the king discerned his love and devotion and the fact that he expected nothing in return. So as the gardener turned to leave, the king said, Here, my son, I want to give you some of my land so that you can produce an even greater crop. It is yours. 
the gardener went home rejoicing. A noble man, he who was there in that palace, he heard of this. He heard this and thought, if this is what the king gives in response to the gift of a carrot, what would king give me if I gave him a fine horse? So the nobleman came and presented the king with a fine horse as a gift. But the king discerned his heart and said, you expect me to give you as I did to the gardener. I will not. You are very different. The gardener gave me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Is it so difficult to understand this? The, the, guard, the nobleman did not present the horse to king. He had an intention behind it. If I give this horse to the king, I will get something in return. So the king is telling you did not, when the, 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 the ordinary, the farmer came and gave the carrot, he did not expect anything. This is what's meant by good works. Good works is when you do it without expecting in return. That's why when in the ministry they say you give 100 rupees, God will give 1000 rupees. They have not understood the Bible passages clearly. That is not giving, that is bribing God. When you give God, any offering you give God, expecting something in return, we are bribing God. Every time we bring an offering here, let's ask ourselves, am I giving a carrot or am I giving a horse? That will tell us how sincere is our heart in worshipping this great God. Have you kept an account of how much I have given God? Are we accounting with God? That will show the heart condition. God loves the farmer who brought the carrot because he did a good thing. Once you know that God so loved you and me that he sent his only begotten son to die in my place, you can never give him anything in return. Everything you do, you can only do it as an act of gratitude. That's what Paul says. Don't think just because you're giving food to the poor people or you're clothing the naked people that you can have righteousness. If that is your intention, Paul says, no, 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 no way, no way. You cannot even stand before God if you're going to come with these records. Oh God, do you know how much I gave? You know to this church how much I gave? Do you know where all I went? How much I worked. You can never stand and bargain with God. When we stand before God, we say, thank you, Lord. You have given me this privilege to stand before you. I want to worship you. I, this is what is meant by loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If we don't understand this, we will be feeding ourselves. We are not feeding poor people. We will be clothing ourselves, not the poor, not the naked. If that is our intention. If we do any ministry with expecting something in return, we are not doing ministry. God may bless that ministry. I come and stand here and preach in the name of Jesus, there will be blessing. Because the name Jesus itself has power to heal you, to bless you. God will do his work. But if I stand here expecting something in return, I'm not doing ministry. I'm serving myself. The moment you are saved, you no longer, you work for yourself, you work for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. In whichever company has placed you, you don't work for that company, you work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Whatever offering you bring, 
you are not bringing to the church it is not amazing grace age church it is what christ has done in return you do that that is the true meaning of the offering that's why we don't sit and count with god how many percent we have to give is it 1% 2% or 10% no we give joyfully generously sacrificially it should be a joy that is what is considered as good work that's why the bible says he does no good so the main difference between a christian and a religious person is not so much their attitude to their sin but toward their good deeds it's only a christian who will repent for the good deed he does because lord i did it with a wrong motive i did it with a wrong motive not a religious person both will have no problem in repenting for their sins for sin everybody will repent because they all have that guilty feeling but it is only a christian who will repent lord i did it i gave this offering but i gave this so that others can see so that i feel good i feel good you are not giving to god you are giving to yourself or i went for that prayer so that others can see me so what is the antidote for that no one seeks god no one does good so what is the antidote paul gives the antidote for that fear god fear god paul says all the symptoms that he has listed he says the reason is there is no fear of god before their eyes there's no fear of god before their eyes the fear of god is the central to the bible the biblical theme fear the lord for it is the beginning of wisdom fear of god fear the lord what does this mean fear the lord i have to be so scared he left his throne room and he came looking after me so i should run away from him when i stand before him should i be so scared i think probably we can study from the psalmist psalmist says in psalm 130 3 and 4 if you o lord kept a record of sins o lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness therefore you are feared therefore you are feared the closer you get to god the clearer you understand how depraved i was in his sight the closer you get to god you realize how sinful how depraved the depravity that's why paul says all are under the power of sin you understand how yourself is trying to control even god yourself is trying to control even god the closer the more closer you get to god and then you stand and say god i stand in awe of you because you have chosen to forgive my sins i'm even ashamed to tell the kind of sinful thoughts i had the kind of sinful things i did but lord you in your mercy in your goodness you have forgiven me you have accepted me as your child and then you fear him fear him not the way you fear a police authority you fear him stand in awe and respect and worship that god that is the antidote to say that there is no one who seeks god there's no one who does any good Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Paul says, if God has not come looking for me, we wouldn't have found him. If God has not come looking for me, I wouldn't have found him because that is not in me. I would have gone looking after searching for him for his blessings. but definitely not god so if god has come looking after you 
what is your response this morning if god loves you so much that he left the throne room and he came searching for you when you and i stand before god he does not say a list of sins that we have committed because he has forgiven our sins he will tell how great you are how joyful god is when you go and stand in the presence of god if god has done this do you think that you love him with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength this morning if you want to say in the presence of god god help me to love you passionately not myself because you gave your life to redeem me to save me this morning if you say lord i want to love you passionately will you stand in your place and just tell him lord i want to love you passionately oh god because you came running after me you came chasing after me i want to do good things because i want to glorify you not because how good i'll feel about myself not because i get to hear from others how great i am how helpful i am but i want to do it for your glory o oh god abba father put that passion in my heart because we don't have that in our heart we need the power of the holy spirit to love this god more and more glorious father thank you lord for the way you have loved us thank you lord for setting us free from the power of sin thank you lord for putting in us the desire to love you with all our heart with all our soul with all our mind and with all our strength as we stand in your presence we confess lord we do not have in us we think we are so holy we think we are so righteous we think lord we can achieve it today as your children we stand before the throne of grace asking for strength from you holy spirit i pray you will strengthen us to love you lord we will come after you oh god not because what you can give us just will come running after you oh god you are worthy to be praised you are worthy to be exalted help us oh lord to love you more and more and more help us to understand to what extent you went to love us to love me we bless your name we bless your name in jesus name we pray amen kindly be